Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. title of my message is misquoted, misquoted. And this is a question I have for you uh, right at the get-go. For those of you that do consider yourselves uh, Christ followers, have you ever not wanted to admit you're a Christian? Anybody besides me? Uh, Some of you, you guys are pretending like you're more spiritual, and that may be true. Um, but I definitely have. I've definitely pretended like, um, you know, I was just like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I just, I, I kind of backpedaled. I didn't know what to say in the moment. And to be honest, this has nothing to do with my belief in or love for or devotion to Jesus. Um, it's that I, I know that a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about what it means to be a Christian. And a lot of those ideas are things I don't want to have anything to do with. I don't want to be associated with. I don't want who I am to be tied to what they think that is. And, you know, maybe you've been there. Maybe you got caught in a moment where, you know, someone sort of caught you off guard and they were like, wait a minute, are you a Christian? And you sort of paused and panicked. You didn't know what to do. And you knew whatever you were going to say was probably going to change the relationship. And you said something to the effect of like, I, I mean, you know, I, I like my church. I mean, I, I, I guess I technically, I technically am, but not like the crazy kind that you're thinking about. And even as you were saying that, you could feel them like pulling away and pulling back from you. Or, or maybe... You know, you had an experience where you invited someone to church and immediately they, like their whole demeanor changed and there was like a hardness towards you in that moment and they were just like hard no, like not a chance. I would never do that. And uh, like when you started asking them why, they started giving you a handful of reasons and the more they talked about their reasons, the more you realized not all of these reasons are ridiculous. Some of these reasons for not wanting to be a part of a church or be associated with Christians are actually somewhat rational. And in fact, maybe some of those ideas that they brought up to you got you thinking like, yeah, what about that? You know, you didn't want to say that in front of them, but you were thinking it inside of yourself. Like, for instance, I have a lot of friends who made this decision or decided that they couldn't or wouldn't be Christians after they started reading the Bible. Like they came across things uh, in there that sort of shocked them and they thought to themselves like, how can any reasonable person believe and build their life on the strange and disturbing things in scripture? And I know what they're talking about. Like uh, things like in the beginning, a talking snake ruins the world. And then later a talking donkey saves the city. These are in Genesis three and Numbers 22. And then God floods the entire earth and drowns every single human being, including all the kids, because they're irredeemably bad, Genesis 6. Or King Solomon in uh, 1 Kings, he suggests sawing a baby in half to to solve or resolve a custody dispute. Or in Leviticus chapter 20, the Israelites are allowed to beat their slaves as long as they don't die. Okay, but if, uh, if a woman, you know, has sex outside of marriage, then you should immediately kill her. Leviticus 20, Exodus 21. 
And then in the book of 1 Timothy, you know, New Testament women are told to keep their mouths shut in church, always defer to a man, and never teach or lead anything that men are involved in. The stuff is all in there. And when we come to faith, we're told to read the Bible. But for some, reading the Bible led them to lose their faith. And maybe you know somebody like this. And I think the reason this happened is because they read it with the assumption that the Bible means exactly what it says. And that is not often the case. Now, I know already some of you are thinking, like, I knew this church watered down the gospel and doesn't take the Bible seriously. People have warned me, and now I know it's true. But in reality, taking the Bible seriously means approaching it with a willingness to wrestle with how these ancient Eastern writings apply to our modern Western world. In other words, the Bible has to be contextualized, interpreted, and applied. But the problem is, is bigger than this because people don't just misinterpret what's in the Bible. They also misapply what's in it to what's not in it. Maybe you've noticed that Christians have some pretty strong feelings and uh, some really strict views about a lot of stuff. I'll just name a few. Cussing, R-rated movies, secular music, smoking weed, fashion, capitalism. None of these things are in the Bible, just to let you know. And maybe you're raised to think that being a Christian meant having very specific views and opinions about all these things. But how can that be if the Bible never even talks about them? Because here's the reality. The Bible speaks about every subject, but not directly to every subject. And in all honesty, a lot of what you and I think the Bible says is someone's opinion about what the Bible says. And that's what a lot of us are being bombarded with constantly on social media, other people's bad opinions about the Bible. And there are a lot of them everywhere. And some of those videos are real well edited. <laughs> and this is the reason that I don't always want to admit that I'm a Christian, because I know that those videos and those bad opinions about Scripture are how people are interpreting that idea. And I don't want people to think what I know they're probably thinking. Like, oh, so you believe that the earth is flat and that, that science is witchcraft and uh, psychology is satanic mind control and homosexuals cause hurricanes and Christian leaders are always right and Americans are God's chosen people and we need to hoard guns and food in our closets because drag queens are gonna take our children and we're gonna make us get 666 tattoos and we're gonna have to sword fight a four-headed dragon when the world ends on Thursday. And no, I don't believe that, okay? And I don't want to have to explain that to these people in a drive-thru. <laughs> I don't want anybody to think that I think these things that I don't think. And that's why, you know, if, if you think that this is what it is to be a Christian, then no, I'm not that. But I don't think that that's what it is. And here's the good news. I think most of the misunderstandings and misuses of scripture can be corrected and avoided by learning a few basic Bible study skills, which sadly most modern Christians were never even taught. And that's dangerous because you can read almost anything into the Bible if you don't actually know how to read the Bible. And most people don't. 
So how do you? I want to begin today by giving you four parameters, just basic Bible study parameters or principles to help you navigate reading scripture and help you spot misreadings or misinterpretations of things that are happening. Um, these things are adapted from uh, Dan Kimball's book, How Not to Read the Bible, which I highly recommend. It's an, an incredible sort of starter kit primer to figuring out like why so many people are confused about scripture. And yet uh, I didn't just take them from there. I adapted them because I, I feel like I have to put my flavor on everything. So here are the four things. The first thing is this. The Bible is a library, not a book. In fact, it is 66 books written in three languages in multiple genres over 1,500 years of time by different people with different personalities and perspectives. So in reality, um, just so you know, like the theological uh, stance or the doctrinal stance of Christians and definitely this church, Christians believe that the Bible is divinely inspired, the divinely inspired word of God full of timeless truths about who he is and who we are and what life is about and how best to live it. And at the same time, it was written by and to specific people in specific times and places to address specific situations, meaning a plain literal reading of an English translation isn't the most accurate. So if you're copying and pasting a phrase from an English translation of something that was written a long time ago by someone you don't understand from a culture that you don't come from, you are most likely to rip that thing out of context and not know what you're talking about. 2 Timothy 3.16, the apostle Paul in talking about the scripture says this, all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and realize what's wrong in our lives. So the thing I want you to see here is the question is not, when you're approaching scripture, is it useful, but how? How is this scripture useful? Because all scripture isn't useful in the same way for everyone all at once. All scripture is true, but here's the better question. It's a deeper question. What kind of truth am I looking at? What kind of truth am I looking at? And that requires us to take a deeper look. Like a good starter question I always tell people is, what genre is this? And some of you, when you're asked that, you'd be like, Bible genre. Bible is not a genre, <laughs> right? Because, and it's also not a, a book, right? It's a library. And when you go to a library, um, you, you go in and you look for genre sections, right? You're like, I'm looking for young teen vampire romance. And they're like, we have actually have two shelves, okay? <laughs> you're like, wow, right? That's a very... And, and that means something. Like reading that context, that genre, means something. You don't approach that uh, in the same way that you would a historical textbook. And the Bible is full of different genres. Like there's a lot of poetry in the Bible, for example. And the rules of history and science don't apply to poetry. A poem's purpose is to engage our imagination and our emotions to sort of bring us into a bigger idea or to, to make us sort of connect uh, in our soul to a certain concept. I think the most misunderstood, misinterpreted, and most complicated genre is apocalyptic literature, okay, which is the book of Revelation and sections of Daniel and um, a handful of other prophets in the Old and New Testament. And uh, just a, a quick crash course on this genre, these authors were all suffering persecution, as were the Christians at that time. And so they use 
illustrative visions, metaphoric imagery, and numeric uh, symbology that their persecutors couldn't decode. So these people are writing in code and handing these things usually through prison walls to give to someone else and their captors would look at it and be like, this, makes, this is gibberish. I don't even understand what this is. And they would hand it on. But the people who did understand the code were the persecuted people, not their persecutors. It was a brilliant way to communicate things they wanted them to know. So these passages were more about faithfully living through the present, which is now the past, than about predicting the distant future. They're meant to be taken seriously, but not literally. So if you are waiting around for a four-headed dragon to swoop in and punish all the people that you don't like, just take a deep breath and get a better commentary. That's what I would tell you. <laughs> the second parameter I would give you is this. The Bible is written for us, not to us. The Bible is written for us, not to us. One theologian says it this way. Reading the Bible is like reading someone else's mail. Think about that for a minute. Because, and sometimes this is literally the case, right? Because some of the New Testament are literally letters written to other people that we are now sort of eavesdropping to. Now, the writers understood that we would be reading it, and so they wrote it for us, but it's not to us. Like, imagine a random woman, like, you know, intercepted a love letter that you wrote to your wife out of your mailbox, and she read it as if it were written to her. She's going to get some crazy ideas. And somebody's getting murdered. <laughs> I've seen that documentary. There's a lot of them. My wife loves them, and that scares me. <laughs> it's dangerous. And here's the point. We have to know when we read Scripture, we have to know what it meant to them then before we can know how it applies to us now. We have to put it into context. And when I say that things are written to different people for different reasons, like let me give you an example that you've probably never considered before. The creation story in Genesis is a piece of poetry written to the ancient Israelites as they fled slavery. In Egypt, um, where they were held captive, their captors worshiped the sun and the stars. But their God, the Israelite God, wants his people to know that he made everything even the things that other people worship. And he tells them this intentionally in poetic form, which ought to impact our reading of it. Because he wasn't writing a science textbook for a modern audience to dissect. And if we approach it as if he was, we're going to be very confused. This is poetry, which is why you're not going to find any hard data about when dinosaurs lived or microevolution, or how old the earth is. Because this passage was written to other people about something God wanted them to know, not to you about something you want to know. And I would tell you just as a general rule, it is unwise to expect a verse to answer questions it was never intended to address. Now, with this said, some parts of Scripture were meant to be taken literally, and so we should. And other parts aren't, so we shouldn't. And this is why you need to study the Bible, not just quote it. The third principle is this. 
the Bible is an overarching story, not isolated sound bites. The Bible was not designed as a series of angry tweets. Some people don't understand that. And like any story, everything in the Bible points to the main plot. And if you don't know the, the main story arc of what is actually going on, you're going to pull scenes and sentences out of context and you're going to feel confused. And you've had this moment before. Like we've all been caught off guard uh, because someone quoted an Old Testament law at us that we didn't even know existed. And they're like, what about that? And you're like, is that in there? I don't even, okay, let's, I don't, we've never talked about that one in church. Um, and most of these laws don't apply to us because they're part of an old agreement outlining how ancient Israelites were to relate to God. Okay, and so there's a lot of buzzwords right there. Old agreement, so there's a new one now through Jesus, and with the Israelite people. And I, most of you probably are not ancient Israelites. <laughs> this is the time machine somebody got a hold of and didn't tell me about. Not likely. And that's why we don't feel sinful eating cheeseburgers, right? Or especially when they have bacon on them, it's delicious. <laughs> or wearing stretchy jeans, right? Because it's the combining of multiple fabrics or going to church on your period, okay? <laughs> All these things are forbidden in the Old Testament. Or as my friend Ash and I say, no-no's in the OT, okay? These laws uh, are primarily for them in their time. But here's the thing, you can't know that if you don't know how the story works or where it's going. And so here's the question, when you're reading through scripture, where is the story going? What is it about? What is it pointing to? And that brings us to the fourth principle is this. The whole Bible points to and defers to Jesus. Now this doesn't mean that every single verse in the Old Testament has like a hidden Jesus reference in it, or we should make like, like really stretched out, uh, loose allegorical connections in every single verse because they're not always there. But what this does mean is that Jesus is the plot, purpose, and pinnacle of the whole thing. And I want you to understand this because I think a lot of Christians don't understand this reality, what Christianity actually is. Christianity is about following Jesus, not following the Bible. Which means if any passage, person, or paradigm disagrees with Jesus, we side with Jesus every time. And this is important for us to know because Jesus, when he gets on the scene and becomes part of the story in the flesh, he reinterprets a lot of ideas and expectations that came before him. Here's something that you may not know. Jesus, if you've ever looked at something in the Old Testament, you're like, I disagree with that. Jesus disagrees with a lot of it. And here's the relief. When there's a conflict between anything or anyone in Jesus, we go with Jesus. Why? Because we're Jesus followers. We're Christ followers. We're Christians. That's what that means. Let me just give you an example of this, a prime example of Jesus sort of like, like pulling something in, updating, reinterpreting it through a new lens. Matthew chapter 12, verse one, says this. Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. And so they began picking and, uh, grain and eating it. And some Pharisees saw them and protested, your disciples are breaking the law. Now they're referencing an Old Testament law, so it's a religious law, not like a, a political law, right? 
And the law is uh, this, this rule that says you, you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. Instead, all these people were to rest their bodies and spend time focusing on God and other people, relaxing and, and practicing gratitude and, um, and essentially reminding themselves that everything in the world is not dependent on their own effort, which is a healthy thing to remind yourself once a week. And these people, the Israelite people, the Jewish people, put a lot of parameters around these laws to prevent themselves from even getting close to breaking them. And in this case, one of them was don't pick any grain on the Sabbath. Don't walk too far on the Sabbath. Jesus' disciples are doing both of those things because they're homeless and hungry. And so you have a bunch of, just to summarize, you have a bunch of church people saying to Jesus' disciples, you shouldn't do that, it's in the Bible. But they're saying this without any real concern for the people involved or real knowledge of their situation. Jesus says in verse three, haven't you read in the scriptures what David, this is an ancient king, did when he and his companions were hungry? They went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves. Not the sacred loaves. <laughs> Verse five, haven't you read priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? So Jesus is saying, yeah, the Bible does say that. It also says this. The Bible outlines a whole bunch of rules and occasional exceptions to those rules. And so how do all these passages fit together and what takes priority in this context? Jesus is trying to get his accusers to think critically, but they don't want to have to. And it just makes them angry. In verse six, it says this. Jesus says, the one in front of you is even greater than the temple. Is that how you can tell he's trying to make them mad? <laughs> they think that's the greatest thing ever. You would not condemn my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this verse, showing mercy is better than offering sacrifices. He's quoting more scripture to them. Jesus, I, the son of man, is the Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, this is a big mic drop sort of moment and I just wanna bring you into this context because Jesus is saying like, FYI, I am above the temple and the law. So I have the authority to tell you, you are misinterpreting both because you know the words, but you have no idea what the heart behind them is. You're petty. They don't like that either, just so you guys know. <laughs> then Jesus went over to their synagogue, which is like their church, where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. And the Pharisees asked, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? And then we have this aside. They were hoping he would say yes so they could prosecute him. So literally what is happening is they asked Jesus about his interpretation of a particular verse, hoping that it will be different from theirs so they can attack, ridicule, and shame him. And this proves that Jesus knows what it's like to be a pastor. This happens to me all the time. People are like, whoa, 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 what do you think about this verse? And I'm like, right, do you have a crew trying to stone me around the corner? What is happening? I feel like no matter what I say, you're just trying to pick a fight with me. What do you think it means? Oh, I'm not telling you first. And I'm like, this is a trap. I don't want to do this with you. He says this in verse 11. Uh, he answered, if you had a sheep, 
I love that Jesus answers with stories. And people are like, what are, what are we talking about right now? If you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. And then Jesus fully restored the man's hand. And the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. I mean, it sounds crazy when you read it in this context. This kind of stuff happens all the time. Even in our modern world. He, Jesus heals the guy because obviously humans are, are more important than sheep. And they decide to kill him because they hate how he's interpreting the Bible. Think about that for a minute. In our culture, don't we experience some of the same? People who are ready to fight other people to the death, even who share their faith because they don't like their interpretation of the Bible. Ironically, if there's one person who knows what it feels like to have the Bible used as a weapon against them, it's Jesus. The Pharisees are using scripture here to prove they're right, to get their own way, to control Jesus, and to make him look stupid in front of other people. And I think people still use the Bible in this way too. Like, I don't really care what's true. I don't actually want to learn. I don't actually want to become more like Christ. I want to prove I'm right, get my own way, control God with his own scripture. And make other people look stupid that don't think like me. And Jesus, he doesn't think of it this way. And what you realize in this story, these people are never going to agree with Jesus because he sees the point of scripture differently. They're all reading the same Bible, but they're not reading it the same way. And the biggest difference between the way they read and the way he reads is Jesus believes every verse should be filtered through a greater guiding principle. And he's not shy about what he believes it is. One of the clearest explanations of it is in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. You've heard this before. The most important commandment, rule, law, expectation, rule of life, whatever you want to call it, is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, 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 circle that one, and strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Jesus calls them the greatest commandment. His brother James, who's one of the first Christian pastors, shout out to my James small group, okay? He calls it in his writings, the royal law, meaning it's above all others. It governs all the rest. Every other one has to bow to it. To them, the New Testament writers, including Jesus, a true Christian thoughtfully applies the Christ-like wisdom of Scripture to help their neighbors become whole. And that is going to require reason. Because as it turns out, Jesus wants you to love him with your mind, not set your mind aside so you can love him. Paul says it this way to one of his apprentices, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. He says, do your best to be a follower who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 
So I just want to unpack some of what this is saying. Do your best to be, meaning it's going to be work. It is going to be work. It's not maybe going to come naturally. You're going to have to fight to do it right. And what is it that you're working toward? Rightly handling the word of God. And to rightly, being told to rightly handle the word of God implies this, what? That you can wrongly handle the word of God. And then in fact, when you wrongly handle the word of God, it brings shame on you because of how you've misrepresented Christ. And it's his way of saying, operate your life and represent Jesus and interpret scripture in a way that you have no need, no reason to feel ashamed of how you've handled the scriptures because some people ought to be ashamed of what they're doing. When we rightly handle God's word, we do this by following the four parameters above, but also by not expecting the word of God to be something it doesn't pretend to be. A science book, a documentary, a medical journal, it doesn't pretend it's any of these things because it's not. Reading scripture ought to make us more reasonable, not less. And that reason ought to compel us to sacrificially love others just like Jesus. Is that what reading scripture does to you? Compels you to sacrificially love others like Jesus? Because if it doesn't, you're reading it wrong. You're reading it wrong. And Jesus said it this way, that like I can tell whether you get it or not when I look at what your life is producing, at the fruit you're bearing. At, at whether or not you are spreading life or death to the people around you. I can, I can tell if you get it or if you've completely misunderstood, misrepresented, and misquoted it. And I know when you hear this, probably like me, there's probably a lot of things that come up in you about how other people have hurt or harmed you. And if you are here today because somebody gave you a flyer or invited you or you saw an ad on you know, the internet and you're just like, man, I wanna check out and see what this is about. And somebody has used scripture and weaponized it against you to hurt and harm and shame you. I just wanna say, I'm sorry. That's not how Jesus intends for scripture to be used. I'm sorry that was your experience. And you know what? I can't control those people and what they do. But that's not what I'm being asked to do. And it's not what you who call yourselves Christ followers are being asked to do. What you're being asked to do is the same thing that Timothy was being asked to do, to do your best to be a follower who has no need to be ashamed because you rightly handle the word of God. And so here's the introspective question I want you to ask yourself today. How might you be using scripture as an excuse not to make sacrifices on behalf of someone else? Because that's a lot of times what it is. If I have to lean into scripture and see it through the lens of this overarching story that leads to Jesus and the way of Jesus, which is about loving our neighbor as ourself. And when we do so, we honor God in the process because we can see the face of God in our neighbor. And that requires a lot of sacrifice it requires we give up certain things. It requires we let go of certain opinions and ideas. Or it requires we 
hold on to them, but we still serve people with love and not judgment or ridicule or shame. And I just wonder where you are hunting for places in scripture to avoid having to help somebody else, to avoid having to give to somebody else, to avoid having to sit and be compassionate with someone else, to avoid having to listen to someone else, to avoid having to get wrapped up in somebody else's story or see something from someone else's perspective. Because we all do this. And this is what the New Testament authors are trying to pull us out of, is to say, don't leverage scripture as a way to avoid reason, to back your own reasons for doing whatever you wanna do. Leverage scripture to locate the reasons God has given you to love others. And the foundational reason he gives is because he claims that he loves you that way already. This is what I wanna invite you into, to love God with your mind. When it comes to scripture, to seek to contextualize and interpret and apply appropriately and it's work and the work is worth it and the work leads to love. Would you bow your heads with me across this room? I just wanna pray over you today. God, I'm grateful for your love, your grace, your mercy, your word of truth. God, I'm so thankful that we don't have to feel lost and alone in this world, that we don't have to wonder who you are or who we are or how to live. There's a lot that, that scripture doesn't tell us about science and medicine and all these sorts of things, but that's not its point. And in fact, you rightfully gave wisdom to people to be able to develop things to love others well through these avenues that you created. And God, I pray that you would give us an accurate picture of what your word is, what it isn't, how to follow you through it, and how to access what it really is. This thing that shows us the story of a God who so loved the world that he gave himself to die on our behalf, to forgive us of sins, to show us how best to live and to empower us to love others as he has loved us. May we seize this foundational message and live it out. May we prove to people that we are Christians by our love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.